Good morning, everybody. This is kind of cool. <laughs> um, I'm going to be reading the scripture uh, out of Psalm 42 and 43. So I'll start in Psalm 42. You might recognize um, the words as one of the songs that we have sung here before. Um, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And now continuing in Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Well, good morning. Uh, can you hear me? Good. All right. That means I got the thing on. And um, do you have your Bibles? It's a little hard to see inside windshields. People do have Bibles. Good. Well, what Daniel read for us this morning is exactly where we want to go now in Psalm 42 and 43. And so if you want to turn there in your Bibles, um, my Bible pages are going to ruffle if I open here this morning. It's a little different outside with wind and breeze, so I'm going to be mostly using my tablet this morning. But um, if you want to turn and follow along, Psalm 42 and 43. Thank you to Daniel for reading Psalm 42 and 43. Um, it's, uh, it's great to get the context of the one verse that we're actually going to look at this morning. Uh, I would add, uh, it's, it's uh, really nice for Daniel to do that. I think many of you probably know that Daniel is headed to the East Coast uh, to do medical school uh, back there. And that happens, I think, in just a few weeks. And so um, if you get a chance to I don't know, wave at Daniel, 
do something, uh, that would be great. But uh, thank you, Daniel, for reading Psalm 42 and 43. So the one verse that we want to look at this morning, if, you're, if, you're, if you have your Bibles open, is actually found in three places. Some of you probably caught that as we uh, heard Daniel read this morning. There's one verse, one set of words that's repeated three different times. Did you catch that as Daniel read this morning? It's, it's verse 5 of 42, verse 11 of 42, and it's verse 5 of chapter 43. All three times the same words are reiterated. And it says this in Psalm 42 and uh, 43, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, my salvation and my God. I want to ask you a question as we get started this morning. Uh, in this section, in this one verse that's repeated three different times, was David praying? What do you think? Was he praying? Well, no, actually, he wasn't praying. What was David doing? He was talking to himself. He was counseling his own soul. He was describing to himself the situation he was in and the one possibility for confidence and hope that he had in God. Now, some of you might say talking to yourself is something you don't actually need any help with. Uh, I talk to myself for all kinds of different reasons. I uh, talk to myself to focus my attention. I talk to myself to inspire personal confidence at a time when I feel like I'm lacking. I, in fact, my wife has told me to quit saying, come on, boy, uh, because, and I do this on a regular basis because I'm, I, you know, it's kind of like motivation. It's like, come on, boy, let's do this thing. I don't know what you say to yourself, uh, and, uh, but in the quiet, in the dark of your own personal thoughts, the thing that you say to yourself is one of the most critical things that you will ever say to anyone. You know, I'm going to tell you things that I think that you are going to be pleased to hear, generally speaking. But that's not what I tell myself. I tell myself oftentimes the genuine, real things that I'm actually thinking in the depths of my soul. I tell myself the things that discourage me. I tell myself sometimes things that aren't true, but that I think are true. This is what David said at a point of deep discouragement and despair. Why, oh soul, my soul, why soul, are you cast down? Why are you so troubled in turmoil, all turbulence inside of me? Why? Hope in God. Really, this, this little passage, this one verse, can be divided very simply into two parts. The first is the question, why are you cast down? And if you looked at the, at the um, background of Psalm chapter 42, uh, you'd understand that David had very good reasons to be cast down. It's, it's believed that David wrote this psalm either in reflection on or in the midst of, perhaps, fleeing from Absalom. Yeah, it was a bad, bad 
time in David's life. Now, David had a number of low points in his life. In fact, I haven't even listed all of them, but here's a few of the low points in David's life. He, when he was pursued by Saul through the wilderness for a long long time before he became king. Uh, he had a low point when the people talked about stoning him after Ziklag was burned and their wives were taken. Yeah, they talked about stoning their captain, their leader. That was pretty low. Uh, they talked, uh, there was uh, the low point when Jonathan, his best friend, died. And you may remember the lament that David made for Saul and for Jonathan, the grief of his soul as he poured himself out in anguish. That was a pretty low point in David's life. Or when his firstborn son by Bathsheba died. And you'll remember that the servants were even afraid to go to see him because he was so low and he wouldn't eat. And his life was just destroyed. David was pretty low there. But and then there's another that's really low uh, later on in his life, toward the very end of David's life. When he sinned and numbering the people and 70, get this, 70,000 of his people died and it was his fault. That was a low point in David's life. And by the way, again, that's not a complete list. David's life was full of low points. But this is probably one of the lowest of the low points. One of the very lowest of David's uh, distresses here in fleeing from Absalom. He was bowed low. He was shamed and distressed. How distressed? Listen to what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 30. It says, David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. This is in his flight from Absalom, weeping as he went barefoot and with his head covered. Was he distressed? I would say so. How shamed was David? Well, going on in 2 Samuel chapter 16, you hear the words of Shimei, who was shaming him with these words, Get out! Get out, you man of blood! You worthless man! The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is upon you, for you are a man of blood. So David and his men went, men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. David was distressed and shamed in every sense of the word. Truly one of the very lowest points of his life. Add this that you've just heard to the fact that at the core, this was a rebellion by a son whom he loved. This wasn't someone outside. This was a friend, a son, one that he trusted and loved. All this heaped upon David in one moment of terrible anguish. He is in distress. And in that distress, he asks himself, why are you cast down, O my soul? Well, I mean, that's a little bit self-evident, isn't it? I mean, I, I mean, if you were in David's shoes and you're running along the road, escaping from your son, your head is covered, your feet are bare, a man is cursing, throwing stones and flinging dust at you. I mean, isn't it pretty obvious why you're cast down? But David asks himself this question anyway, and he asks it three times. Why are you 
cast down, O my soul. And I'd like to suggest that there's a lesson in this for us. It's useful to ask our soul, why are you discouraged? And it's useful for a couple of different reasons. First of all, it's possible for a person to not actually admit to himself the state of his or her mind. To actually not admit it to yourself, not to, to say, I, I don't know, I'm doing pretty well. I had a, uh, a friend I knew once, um, he said, you know, I don't often actually think about how I feel. I just do the thing. Yeah, I, I think we understand that. Sometimes we mislabel this determined ignorance, fortitude. I'm just pressing through no matter how I feel, or, or maybe even courage. I'm doing the right thing even though I'm losing my will to live. But that's mislabeled. It's better to speak the truth to our soul, to actually pull the thing out into the light and examine it, to say to ourselves, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? It's better to look that truth in the face. Self-deception at any level always leads to darkness. It always leads to darkness. So if, if I'm not facing into the wind of my personal trial and acknowledging it for what it is, I'm really ignoring reality and that doesn't lead to light. But there's another reason, that's because it's possible for a person to know that, know that they're discouraged, but not to know why. Not to know why they're discouraged. Now, I'm gonna tell you right up front, there are many times you won't know why you're discouraged. Many times that you won't actually be able to pinpoint it, but sometimes you can. In David's case, I think he could. He knew why he was discouraged. And so when we feel weighed down or sad, it's helpful to say out loud, I am grieved, I am sad, and here is why. Why? Why is it useful to say that to ourselves? It feels dangerous, it feels scary, it's a little terrifying to actually have to name the thing that terrifies me. But it's valuable because the diagnosis of your soul's sickness is often the first step toward a cure. Is there a situation outside of your control that weighs heavily upon you? You can't control it, but God can. When you identify what's really happening, what's really going on in your soul, it gives you leverage to pray with precision. No, you can't control it, but praying with precision, God can. So identify it, say it out loud. Is there a problem in which you bear responsibility to bring a resolution? You actually are responsible for this situation. Identifying the reason for your soul's distress brings your responsibility into sharp focus and helps you know what the next step is that you should take. You find that in David's low point with the census, right? David was responsible and it was his job to do what he needed to do to stop the plague from encroaching any further upon the people because he knew the thing that was attacking, because he knew the way that he had failed, because he understood his personal responsibility, he was able to take the appropriate action. But in either case, whether you have control or don't have control, you can either pray with precision if you name it, or you can do the thing that you're supposed to do to bring resolution and help to resolve it. It's difficult, though, to name it. It's hard to actually say it out loud. My marriage is painful. My job is unfulfilling. 
I'm just struggling to make ends meet. No one really understands me. Uh, my health is poor, and the doctor's diagnosis is that it isn't going to get any better. For some of you, the thing that distresses your soul is an agony that you've borne for years. Many times, most of the time, no one sees the nagging pain that never relents. But sometimes when no one is looking, you cry quiet tears of grief. It hurts to even think about the thing, let alone to speak it out loud, where your own ears have to hear it, where your mind has to reckon with the fact that it's a reality. But I encourage you to speak it, to speak it if you even only dare to whisper it. Do you have one of those things in your mind? When you say, why are you cast down, oh my soul, you say, oh, well, I know, but I don't want to have to acknowledge it. I'd encourage you, acknowledge it in the presence of God and in your own ears to say, this is the thing that discourages me. David certainly had them. He was betrayed. He was running for his life. All that he worked for and all that he'd been promised was being destroyed, and it looked like he'd lost his connection to God. You heard, as, as Dan read for us the scripture twice in that passage, twice in Psalm 43, the enemies are taunting David, saying, where is your God? Yeah, and sometimes it doesn't even take an enemy. Sometimes I'm asking that question for myself. Where? Where is my God? And this, this is critical to being able to address the issues in my own soul, to speak to myself the truth and to say this very next part. We ask, why are you cast down, my soul? And we answer with David's same answer to his own soul, hope in God. There may be times when it looks like God's abandoned you, like you've finally gotten what you always knew you deserved. But David, who did deserve all kinds of judgment, responds to his own soul, no, God has not deserted me. In 42 verse 8, he says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. Right here, in the middle of my distress, God is with me. When I'm cast down, I cast myself onto the loving kindness of God, my God. When night comes and the terrors of darkness make me want to pull the covers over my head, I listen for his song like David sang in Psalm 3. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Hope in God. And it's here that I want to introduce you these nine words that we're going to look at this morning. These nine words, if you take nothing else away from this message this morning, are the things that I'd like you to be able to retain in, in your mind. Wind is whipping up here. I'm glad it's not just paper I'm dependent on. These nine words, I'm going to give them to you now, and then I'm going to give them to you again. If you're taking notes, there's a spot in your notes to be able to jot these down. But don't worry if you don't get them the first time. And it's these nine words. Supreme, you ready? Supreme confidence in God alone for now and forever. 
here it is again, supreme confidence in God alone for now and forever. Hope in God. Let me read you several verses where this same word for hope is used in the Old Testament. In Job chapter 13, verse 15, Job says, Though he, God, slay me, get this, I will hope in him. Psalm 71, 13 and 14, it's, uh, the psalmist writes, May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may be the covered who seek my hurt, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. And then in Lamentations chapter 3, a familiar passage of Scripture, listen to the way the word hope is used here. Jeremiah, writing after the destruction of Jerusalem, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Hold on. Did you catch it? Let me say it again. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. What's he saying? My soul is cast down. I look around me and everything is terrible. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Here it is. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And we usually end the passage right there. That's what we quote. But listen to the next verse. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Did you catch what Jeremiah is doing in the middle of the destruction of Jerusalem, sitting and seeing the terrible things that were happening all around him? He's doing exactly what David did in Psalm 42 and 43. He's doing the very same thing. He's talking to himself. He's saying to his soul, the Lord is my portion. You could rephrase that. Hope in God. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. You get to listen in to Jeremiah as his soul is talking. It's as if he's saying, my soul is cast down every time I remember my bitter affliction, every time I see hungry children, every time I hear of a woman boiling and eating her own child as they were doing around him. Every time I think of the rapes and the murders and the shame and the grief, everything is wrong. Everything I have loved has been taken from me. It was a horrible scene. It was a terrible time. Maybe you feel like lamenting with Jeremiah as you look around at what's happening right here in America today. My soul is cast down every time I hear of appalling injustice or prejudice or hatred. I hate the insults and the brutality, the killing and the looting, the anger and the shame of a society that's devouring itself and is never satisfied. I hate the dissension and the party spirit and the unwillingness or the inability to diagnose and treat our deep and abiding wounds. Maybe that's what you're saying in your soul and your soul is cast down. But Jeremiah answers as does David. In the middle of deepest, darkest distress, the Lord is my portion, 
and because he is my portion, I have hope. That's really quite a statement for Jeremiah sitting in the ruins of Jerusalem. It's quite a statement for David fleeing from Absalom and for you and me right here today in our particular needs and distresses and our national calamities and our personal troubles in all of these things. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil inside of me? Hope in God. This is really our supreme confidence. It's the answer of our soul to our soul's own bitter cry and to the accusations of our enemies. They say, where is your God? We say, he is coming and it won't, it won't be long. He is my portion. He's all that I really need. He never forsakes his own. And through Jesus, I qualify. I belong to him. This is our supreme confidence. Our supreme confidence is not in a political savior. Our supreme confidence is not in a new technology or in a new medicine that solves all of our problems and means we don't have to wear masks anymore. Our supreme confidence is not in our ability to deal with the issues that trouble us. Our supreme confidence is not in our mental reserves that make it possible for us to think our way out of a problem. Our supreme confidence is in God. Hope, not just hope though, hope in God. Hope in God, supreme confidence, supreme confidence in God alone. My soul gets confused oftentimes in answering this question. I want to have confidence in some other place. I want to have confidence in the doctor or the government or my job or my family or, and you fill in the blank for you. These may be God's tools to help us, but they are not the source of our hope. Our confidence as we wait in trouble is in God alone. So there's five of the words, supreme confidence in God alone. Just four more to go for now and forever. Right here in the middle of your personal need and distress, right here, God is your hope. That does not mean immediate deliverance from your distress. It does mean immediate grace to go through it and supreme confidence that he will make it right in the end, that he's coming and all will be well. We're hearing cries for justice in our country and around the world. And the answer of some souls is to heap loathsome injustice with more injustice, to answer murder with destruction. But when we experience injustices, we take refuge in the just one and hold on to our supreme confidence that he will do what's right. We fight for righteousness and trust the results to God. Even when truth is trampled in the streets, we stand up for the oppressed and the hurting but we trust our defense and theirs to the great judge whose judgment is just.
the Lord is my portion right now, and he will do what is right forever. So we can personally enter into David's conversation with his own soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, my salvation and my God. There is supreme confidence in God alone for now and forever. I want to give you three things to take away this morning as you have these nine words in your mind. And these are the three things that I think might be useful to you, that are useful to me. The thing that stands between a life of darkness and trouble and a life of supreme hope. So between darkness and trouble and between and supreme hope on the other side is hope, get this, in anyone other than God. I think I'm helping God. He says you're standing in the way. This idea, this reality sends us running back to the gospel. We have no hope if God is not for us, but through Jesus, God is for us. And so no one can stand against us, not life or death or angels or principalities or powers or rulers. or There is nothing that can stand against us because God, through Jesus, loves us. No one can separate us from the love of God. So the thing that stands between us and confident hope is often hope in something else. What are you hoping in? Is your hope truly in God alone this morning? And then the conversation of your soul is your responsibility. In other words, what you're saying to yourself is your job. I, I don't know about you, but doing various tasks around thinking and uh, working, for example, in the garden or doing my job at work, my mind is always running, and I know that yours is too, even if you say you're not thinking. <laughs> you are thinking, and you are saying things to your soul. That's your responsibility. How are you going to corral your thoughts so that with David you can concentrate your focus, uh, your focus, your attention, and so that you can say the truth to your soul so that you can bring what troubles you out into the light and again remember, my hope is in God alone. My hope is in God alone. And then, finally... There is a place where you can lock eyes with God. And it's that place where you are at the place of supreme confidence. Another way to read this verse is actually hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help, get this, of his countenance. I've asked Julia to come and help me illustrate this for you this morning. Her mother nodded her head yes. And so she came. I think she's just waking up. Hi, Julia. So when... Hi, Julia. <laughs> so think about this again. Another reading of that verse is this. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. To say it another way, for the salvation of his face. Are you with me? For the salvation of 
God's face for the salvation of his personal presence. Julia has a number of little needs these days. Hi, Julia. She has a number of needs, but do you know what her needs are so often met by? Oh, her daddy and mama come, and they scoop her up, and she can look right in their face. Because her one source of supply, her only hope, is in their face. I've really enjoyed getting to know Julia. And one of the things that's really fun about this age is that they start locking on to your eyes. You know what I'm talking about if you're a parent. You've watched them do it. They start looking into your eyes as you look into their eyes. And it's a look that says, I see you and I trust you. How are you looking at God? Looking into his face, looking into the face of God, we find that our biggest troubles are small to him because he's so strong and great and wise. Julia has issues and needs, but you know when she looks into her daddy's eyes or her mama's eyes, she finds that all of her needs are met because they're so much bigger and stronger and wiser, they can provide for all of those needs. And we find something else. We find that our smallest troubles are not too small for him because he loves us so intensely. No problem too big, no problem too small. Our God cares personally for us. May I urge you to join with David in talking to yourself. Ask yourself the source of your distress and answer with supreme confidence in God alone for now and forever. That's the truth. That's certainty. That is hope. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the help of my countenance, whose countenance, whose face helps me, and he is my God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this beautiful chance to look into your word and hear the words of David long ago in deep distress, calling upon God, his one and only hope. Help us, like David, to speak the truth to our souls, to examine the reason, the cause for our distress, and in that distress, not to trust other sources, but to look to God alone, to really, truly place supreme confidence in God alone for now and forever through Jesus. Amen.